The in-studio videotaped version of this podcast is available on YouTube. Just type in David Trapella at A Quiet Place. Please be sure and hit the subscribe button and ring the bell for future notifications. Shh. It's time to let go. Release the burdens brought on by life when you simply want to be free. You're a blinding beam of light and you deserve to be free. You're always welcome here. It's time to be quite honest. Good afternoon. Today we're going to talk about trapped at home and no place to feel safe. With the COVID-19, we have a real opportunity to look hard at issues that affect the hidden majority, which are individuals, both male and female, who are even more quarantined by their abuser. Abuse is about power and control. Today, we have the opportunity to discuss this issue, identify for the general population problems that exist, and steps to make it through this unfortunate time in our society. I'm Sarah Bush, and with me today is Melissa Rodriguez with the Hayes Caldwell Women's Center, and my partner who's not with me at the moment, but he's here in spirit, and that's David Drapella. He's my confidant and my website partner in a website that we have called A Quiet Place. So today with Melissa Rodriguez, I have the fortune of not only spending time with you, but more importantly, sharing an opportunity that we have to share with someone I actually know and have known for quite some time being affiliated with the Women's Shelter. Melissa comes with a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and a Master of Science in Counseling, and has been affiliated in the world of social work since 1995. She's been with Hayes Caldwell Women's Shelter for 17 years. In her travels of being in different positions and wearing different hats with the center, she's not only been in the original design of the program, in the programs for not only the abuse and the staff, but also with the Roxanne House for Kids. She is presently the Director of Community Partnership and Development, as well as addressing family violence, dating violence, sexual assault, and child abuse. So is there anything you want to add to that that would share with the public anything that I've missed that you think is more important than the conversation we're going to have? Um, no, I mean, the only other thing I would add is just uh, our organization, the Hayes Caldwell Women's Center, uh, we've been serving victims of abuse for 42 years now. Um, so we're definitely invested in what we're doing. Um, we care about our community and we want people um, to know that we haven't left, even though uh, we're, we're down to a few in office. Um, but we're, we come here with a, a commitment and a knowledge base. So, so we hope that we can contribute something to this conversation. Absolutely. And the other thing that I think is important for us to establish is that not only is it physical, emotional, and psychological, as well as verbal abuse, but more importantly, it is for male as well as female and kids. It's also mm -hmm. free, and you mm -hmm. have a 24-hour hotline. We do, so, and that is still in operation. Yes, ma'am. Great, and so towards the end of this podcast, we'll again address that so that you can offer a phone number, but more importantly, address the fact that it's available wherever anybody is, um, not just the Austin area. So in our conversation prior to today, we talked about the specific issues. So let's, 
let's address that. Okay. Talk to me about not only the situation with victims or whatever word you want to use to describe those people that are um, in a situation that's unhealthy at home, but more importantly, the extreme. We're now quarantined. So yes. Tell me about that. Yes. Uh, so, you know, generally speaking, uh, even prior to this quarantine, obviously um, there were there are a lot of victims out there who um, felt stuck, um, who weren't able to just uh, pick up and, and leave for a number of reasons. Um, you know, financial is a big component. You know, uh, it's uh, affordable housing in this community is pretty impossible to find. Um, so a lot of our survivors were staying in those situations because they didn't have anywhere else to go long term. Um, fear, um, obviously, that, that dictates a lot of the decision. Um, fear of their own safety, fear for the safety of their children. Um, so sometimes it, it feels like a better choice to just uh, hang in there and try to survive. And so often they felt very stuck at the time. Um, but now with this quarantine, obviously that has um, increased um, that level of a few choices that are left um, because they can't leave. Um, and that makes it even more complicated. They feel even more isolated and even more um, stuck, if you will, in a situation that, that they don't see a way out. Um, I do want uh, people in the community to know that uh, for now, our 24-hour emergency shelter is in operation. So if someone does find themselves um, in a in critical need now, um, we obviously have to establish what that means. You know, the emergency level of safety um, is, is high on the radar. Um, and I know that there are shelters around our area who are also still in operation as far as uh, we know, no one has closed their doors yet. Um, but another alternative, of course, is talking with someone, is having a conversation. Sure. Well, I know that in taking a look at just the internet itself, um, there is a concern that the shelters are going to even have room or whether or not it's safe because someone may or may not be sick and don't have the abilities either by no insurance or um, struggling to even find somebody that can help them medically, especially if the abuser is keeping away any insurance information or telling them they're sick when they're not really, it could just be nothing more than an allergy or just stress that it causes the imbalance of the immune system. But I've also seen just in going online where it's difficult for an, for an abuse person who's truly in need of medical care to even get into a hospital or to a minor emergency center because of the quarantine. That's right. And I think that part of what you and I talked about yesterday is just the internet capability that's out there for people to reach out to. Maybe it's a chat, maybe it's right. a Facebook chat or something. Could you address something like that? Yes, sure. So that is actually something we're currently exploring. We don't currently have a, a chat line, but we are looking into starting one um, even as early as next week that people can access on our website. Um, we did some research and found that the San Antonio um, Rape Crisis Center for Victims of Sexual Assault, they have a live chat. Um, teens can also go to Love is Respect, 
they've always had a chat line because teenagers, that's how they communicate is chatting or texting. Um, so they, they have that as an option. Um, and then of course, social media, we do have even now, even before any of this happened, um, we've had people reach out to us through Facebook. Um, they can get on. Uh, it's something that as long as they feel safe doing, which a lot of the people that we've been uh, faced with on Facebook, on our messenger, um, have done so because it's a practice that they're already engaging in. A lot of people sure. are just on social media. Um, so we always just want to make sure, of course, that they're safe and they can get on. Um, but they've chatted with us through that um, direct messenger um, application as well. So that's still something that's available if that's uh, something they feel they're safe enough to do. You know, it would be interesting to set up some sort of a code, even if it was on Facebook, where mm -hmm. the level of intensity, mm -hmm. the victim could then declare, oh, there are 10 bushes out in front that are really nice. Well, 10 being a really high volatile situation and they're being physically abused or, right. you know, some sort of safe word that um, can collectively be started through you all that can go nationally where people can really have a way of saying, I need help and I need it now. Um, right. And that's a place where, if necessary, the police can be called. Um, yeah, and I think we've seen that in the in the community in general. Um, there's been stories of victims who, who get creative in ways to reach out. I know that there was a video that went around of this woman whose pet got injured um, after she had been injured and somehow convinced her abuser to take her to the vet. And while she was at the vet, she got a message to the front desk person that she was afraid for her life and needed help. Um, so uh, I think it would be a great idea to come up with ways that we can communicate without there being that direct, you know, this is what's happening. Um, I know us personally, we not too long ago had someone reach out to us on Facebook who was in need of uh, emergency help and she messaged us and said so. She specifically said, I'm not safe right now and I really need to leave. And the only thing I have is this internet connection. We don't have phones. They lived out in a very rural area. Um, so we dispatched law enforcement to her um, so that they could respond because she couldn't even call 911. That wasn't even an option for her. Right, right. It's. Um it's a new world. There's no question about it, but I'm seeing more and more creativity being done online. Um, whether it is to entertain musically or to teach um, academically or um, to just open the channels to conversation. But I just wondered if there's not a real need developmentally to come up with some sort of coding, some sort of safe word that is universal that says, um, you know, on a scale of 10, I need you to call the police. Um, right. I just read a story um, in California where a lady was desperate and um, she said to her husband, well, we need to go get groceries before we get in lockdown. And so they got to the store and he said, I'm taking your shoes, I'm taking your phone, I'm taking the keys and you can't leave. And she couldn't, It. she just didn't have any shoes. She didn't have any place to know where to go. And and so she stayed in the car and he came back and they pulled into the driveway of the apartment complex. And one of her neighbors was piling the kids in the car and they were fixing to leave. And she jumped out and jumped in their van 
And um, at that point, they called the police. He got arrested and has now been charged and spending life in prison. You know, I think that we just have to get creative at this point, but it's unfortunate. It is well, unfortunate. And, and risky. I mean, that, that scenario you described, you know, if, if that abuser had access to a weapon, That's um, exactly that right. could have been very deadly, not just for her, but the people she jumped in the vehicle with. And, well, not, and we see that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but who's going to answer the door in quarantine right now for somebody right. unless you know them? Right. Exactly. And, exactly. um, much like today on Facebook for the Caldwell County Facebook discussion group, I said, you know, that we're doing this podcast today and, and the realization of the fact that we're, we're so self-absorbed right now and, and scared that we're not even thinking outside the box as to whether there are other people around us that we really need to touch base with. Had a conversation yesterday with one of my clients who's a teacher. And I said, have you thought about checking with your, kids and the parents. And she said, we as a school district have talked about that and we're looking to do that next week. And I said, you know what? Next week may be too late. It's escalating. Mm -hmm. And just in what we're seeing with toilet paper and paper towels and and (laughs) lines at grocery stores is that the fear level is such that um, you can't even be fearless. Yeah. You're being in defensive mode, that fight or flight mode. That's right. That's right. And and that's it was it was crucial for us to um, it, as soon as we started making plans to make adjustments, um, all our direct uh, service staff reached out to their caseloads and Good. told them this is what we're doing. Um, this is how we can get access. Um, you know, some of us will be working from home, um, and it's having to develop some safety protocols with them. Um, that otherwise, you know, we wouldn't have had before. Um, so it is definitely un- unchartered territory um, for many. And uh, so trying to figure out safe ways to have that uh, touchstone to be able to check in and make sure that things are going well. Um, for many, they're able to do that, but many aren't. And so yeah. just trying to find um, those different capacities. Uh, so one of the things that I wanted to mention, I heard from one of our children's counselors who works with children who have lived in an abusive home. She's a therapist. And she had a lot of her clients reach out to her because those kids are at spring break with that abusive parent and may be looking at an extended uh, time with the parent. And so the um, survivor that we're working with reached out to her just trying to figure out ways, what can I do? How can I get my child back? Or how can I give them some tools um, so that they can uh, cope with the fact that they're now staying in the house um, with the person that, you know, created abuse in our home previously. Um, so one of the things that we're doing currently is that she's developing some uh, checklists and uh, exercises even for them to deal with the stress if something happens. Um, and we're going to be putting those out on our website so that um, they can have access to that. Um, And of course, if anyone visits our website, there is an escape uh, button that anyone, if you're on it and you're looking at something and, you know, someone walks in the room, um, you can just hit that button and it's gone and it's erased from your history. So um, that's definitely something that got us started in thinking, oh, if we're doing this for young kids, 
maybe we need to do this also for our adult survivors and having some tools that they can access um, when they feel safe because they may not be able to call us at 10 o'clock at night unless they're calling our 24-hour helpline. Uh, but maybe they can jump on the website and pick up a few um, pointers as ways to safety plan for themselves. I think that's fabulous. I really do. I, um, I worry about whether or not they're eating or eating healthy uh, right. because we know that emotional abuse shuts down the body, um, changes the vibration of their health, can make them That's sicker right. or more vulnerable. Um, right. It may not be that it's the virus at all as much as it could be some other situation that takes their immune system down. And as far as the uh, abuser goes, really doesn't care and um, will continue to force them to cook and clean <laughs> and take care of the kids. And so I think that that's um, really, really important. And I, I just, I want us to continue to take a look at creative ways to um, have people be able to cope. And yeah. I, I do think it's rather interesting. There's a part of me that, you know, just from a, a spiritual standpoint, there's a part of me that just feels like that we've been running in circles and we've been running uh, egotistically for so long that the powers that be have said there's power in silence when we can be in a healthy environment that's silent. We can be related in families where they've not been paying attention. That's right. We can be connected to neighbors. The The quarantine doesn't say that you can't have a couple come over for dinner, you know, or whatever. There's still socialization. It just needs to be in small amounts. But that's another place where, especially I was reading where, you know, employees that would have, not, you know, checked on you if you didn't show up for work. Well, everybody's either been laid off or they're working from home. And so how would anybody know if you were being abused because nobody's showing up for work. Right. And, um, and whether or not we really are FaceTiming each other to make yeah. sure that you're not covered in bruises or that even though emotional abuse doesn't cause the exterior bruises, you can tell the interior bruises when you look at somebody. Right. Just their body language. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so one of the things we did last night, um, my sister and brother-in-law, my brother-in-law is a minister in North Carolina. And so they've started FaceTiming every evening to do a small prayer, especially during Lent, but more importantly to connect. And there were five different states of people last night that joined in that all they did was post it on Facebook. And so it's again, another reminder that people are looking they are reaching out. They are needing to feel safe. Well, and it's a basic need, right? It's uh, interaction. I mean, we're, we're made to make contact with other people. And uh, even if you have people in your home, that's still a small circle. Um, I know that, uh, yeah. that that's something we've been talking about, just my team alone, is that we're, we're the team that interfaces with the community. Um, so it's been particularly challenging for us because you know, we're all either working from home or there's one or two people in the office. Um, and we work best when we're together. Yeah. Um, so it is important to utilize um, the tools that we have available. And I know one of the things we're discussing is just having even uh, using Zoom 
uh, to do team meetings and having yeah. that connection, that face-to-face. Um, and we are exploring uh, doing things on our Facebook page and uh, going live and getting really creative and either just talking about the issues or having a Q&A. Um, we even have um, thought about things like we have a staff member who's done uh, trauma-informed yoga um, for the clients that we serve and maybe even having her do a session on That's Facebook great. Live. That's great. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the self-care component is still um, really important and it's something that I think people are needing and they're looking for it. Um, so trying to be that avenue um, and it doesn't always have to be that you were a client, right? On Facebook Live, anybody right. can join. That's right. Um, so that's a way to remain anonymous that even your partner may not even know what what we're doing. If we're doing a yoga, um, yeah. you know, it's not necessarily talking about ways uh, to leave somebody or something that might make them, you know, feel insecure. So um, there, there are a number of things that we're looking at, I think, um, in order to continue interacting with the community um, and then, of course, to remain visible to those who really need us. I think this is an especially crucial time. And thank goodness for social media. I, I don't even know where we would be if we didn't have these technology resources in the situation that we're in now. Right. Well, it can be good and it can be bad. You know, I, I recommend everybody quit watching, watching national news and watch oh. just the local because the local is more related to what your circumstances are. But more importantly, it's, it's giving you fun things to do and websites to go to and, you know, making videos with each other that just cross <laughs> each other and put it out there. It gets people thinking about something other than their situation. That's right. Um, so I have a question to ask you, and that is, what is gaslighting? Yes, so that's a term that we use in the field uh, that's not always familiar with people, but when we describe it, uh, it's not uncommon for there to be a few faces in a crowd that go, oh, I wonder if that was me. So gaslighting typically, it's a behavior that someone who is abusive, particularly uh, psychologically, emotionally, um, uses as a tool to manipulate their partner. So it makes them... Uh, question their own sanity, makes them feel like maybe I'm going a little crazy. Um, Things like, and I'll give you an example, um, you know, maybe uh, the victim has found evidence of there being some, you know, potential cheating. Maybe there's phone numbers or text messages or something strange that has been going on and they question them. Um, And even in the face of blatant evidence, that person can turn things around and manipulate the situation and make the victim feel like they're the ones who've lost their mind. And they start second guessing themselves. So it's not just, um, what's, what's really interesting about gaslighting is of course people in relationships, that's going to happen. You're going to have disagreements and you're going to look at things differently. The difference with gaslighting is that it makes the person question their own sanity and their own logic. And it starts to make them question their ability to make choices. Right. Um, and it's a pattern. It's not just we're having a disagreement and you see things one way and I see things another way. This is bigger than that. Um, and it's an ongoing thing to the point where someone um, does uh, change how they think because they no longer trust their own instincts and their own belief systems anymore. 
Um, so it can be a number of different things that can affect uh, someone in that relationship. It's really the pattern and how they make them feel uh, in, a, in a consistent manner. So is gaslighting a nice way of saying brainwashing? In a lot of ways, absolutely. Yeah. And, and often what we find is if a person does successfully leave that relationship, it's not uncommon for someone that we're working with that's sorting through all of that, like how did this happen and how do I let myself get through this, that in retrospect, they look back and go, oh my God, I didn't even realize that I lost myself that much. Uh, but it's hard to see it when you're in it. Because when you're in it, you're not really thinking clearly um, and you're not able to really process what that really looks like. It's often something people see um, in retrospect or from the outside. You know, those of us who are friends with someone um, that, that know intimately what's going on. Of course, you know, you have girlfriends who we share stories and that kind of thing. Um, and, you, and sometimes we're the ones that can say, hey, wait, what's going on here? Like you were you knew this to be true and you knew that to be true. And now all of a sudden it's not true. Um, you know, what's going on. And, and sometimes it's that other person who can help guide them to go, no, 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 you're not crazy. You're not losing your mind. Um, but it's complicated because it's very deeply psychologically damaging in a lot of ways, especially if it's been an extended period of time. You know, it, it makes me think of, um, when I was going through my divorce years ago and I, somebody handed me a book called Fierce Conversations and they said, just read the first three chapters and tell me whether or not you can identify with any of that. And um, all of a sudden I realized that I truly had lost my voice in that relationship because it was just easier to be quiet. Um, yeah. And I, didn't lose myself. I just chose to separate for the time being for the benefit of my son. But the truth is, um, I, I did kind of give some of my voice up. And that's anybody that knows me knows that's not normal. Um, <laughs> I love to speak. But um, and I'm passionate about things that I think are needed to say. And if this is uncomfortable for some people to hear, then you know, too bad, because the truth is, we wouldn't be in a field of helping other people if we'd not had experiences ourselves. And that That's doesn't right. make the other person bad, wrong, or whatever. You know, if nothing else, I learned that it's not my place to judge, but it is my place to change me. It is my place to honor my values, my voice, my stand, and to be compassionate to those that are still struggling and still looking. So that's part of even a, the mission of A Quiet Place is our place to be able to get out there and reach to people like you and say, here's some issues that we've got and we need to be more visible and we need to be more real. I, You know, I don't have an MS in communication. Do I have years of communication? academically? Absolutely. Am I perfect at what I'm doing? No, but you know what? I don't have to be. And I right. think that's important for any of us to realize that as we grow and as we get out of the hole that we're in, we're going to right. be okay. Yes. But we can't do it alone. That's right. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to also come from a place of understanding. I think uh, that that's a, the difficulty of working in an organization and doing the work that that we've been doing for so long 
is to always remember that, yes, uh, we know more than the regular person as far as these issues because we work professionally um, in this environment for a really long time. But the truth is we're not the experts in everything. Um, and also we're not no. immune. Uh, no. You know, we, we all have experienced um, unhealthy behaviors as well. We've engaged in them ourselves. Um, if, if we say we haven't, that, then we're not being genuine. Yeah, we're um, not being authentic. That's right. And I yeah. think it's important that we come from a place of, with some humility um, and some openness to uh, work on that dialogue. And, and that's what it is. It's a dialogue. We're all in the same place. We're all trying to figure it out. Not a single person has come up with a golden answer. And if they try to tell you that, then walk away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because that's certainly not true. I also kind of, the analogy I kind of use sometimes with my clients is it's kind of like silverware. Everybody's a fork. Everybody's got a knife. Everybody's got a spoon. You know, everybody's got a ladle, whatever the case may be. But they're all different. Mm -hmm. Not one of them is the same. That's right. And so it may be that... You're a woman and I'm a woman, but that doesn't mean that we have the same story. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so let's shift gears for a little bit and come up with a safety plan. What are the, the elements of a safety plan? Well, the most important thing is that you have to evaluate that for yourself. So one of the things we have always struggled with is how do we communicate safety planning to the public? And in the past, we've had pages on our website that talk about safety planning. Um, and, and we decided to move away from that just because there is not a one-size-fits-all. There really isn't. Every single person has their own set of circumstances that they need to um, take into account, right? So if you are someone that has children, then that's a different set of circumstances. If you, uh, maybe they're your biological children and not your partners, that's a different set of circumstances. Or the other way around. Right. Uh, or no children, or I have a job and resources, or I don't. So the important thing is know your own story, right? And only you know who uh, your partner is and ways that you know you can keep yourself safe, whether that's um, I know I can get on my phone because he won't check my phone. That's something. Um, or I know I can leave my house between these hours uh, because he's or she um, is away. Uh, so th those are all the scenarios. Now, the important thing is, is to also look to an expert. If you can, reach out because we want to have that conversation with you. We want to find out your specific situation so that we can talk to you about what a safety plan may look for you. Um, and so it's really complicated to come up with a really good checklist for those scenarios, um, other than to say, listen to yourself, know your own situation, and let. And if we can talk about your specific issues, then we can figure that out together. Yeah, got it. So to reiterate, it would be <coughs> case by me. case and an opportunity to really support when you reach out so that That's it's... Right. So there are ways to look online for some of the suggestions that are made from organizations. Um, there's no question about that. And I know that the National Center has posted online some elements to pay attention to. But I think it's important, again, to remember that every situation is different. And That's right. And I, and I unique think we're to itself. Yeah. 
Yes. And, and we're going to go back and, and put some of those things back onto the website that we didn't have before. Um, some basic things. Um, but yes, absolutely. You have to take your own situation into account. <clears throat> As I mentioned earlier, that story about the one woman that reached out on Facebook, that was her way of safety planning. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Scratchy throat. I, I understand. <laughs> I understand. Allergy season right now is not convenient. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so she found for her that that was safe because she was able to get on Facebook. That was a normal practice for her. And that's how she reached out. Um, and then there's other people who can call um, and pick up the phone. And there's other people who might have a neighbor that they've made a conversation in the past of like, Hey, you come to me if you need something. And that that's how they reach out. So I think it's really just thinking about that and being very deliberate. I'm wondering if (coughs) there's also not a way to connect with some neighbor or someone and if necessary, open a window, put a piece of cloth outside the window, hanging outside underneath the screen or connected to the screen that allows somebody to know that things aren't okay. I'm just throwing that out. But I mean, you take a look at, we have flashing lights that you can put on your front porch in the event that there's an emergency. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there's some other way that can be created that can be put on the outside of the house that she can, or he can uh, slip out the window without the, the abuser knowing, especially if he locks them in a room or she locks them in a room. And they have the capability of putting something outside the window, even if it's a piece of cloth that says help, you know, there's something again, and I'm just throwing this out there because it may be that somebody out there is looking for some way of communication and that may be a way for them to say, I need help. And I think that's a way that we as community members can do something right. So uh, often I think, What's very complicated is when someone is in this situation, um, it's very scary for them to reach out for help. Yeah. And, you know, for a number of reasons. It could be they're in denial that they're even in a bad relationship. Uh, It could be that they're fearful of um, what consequences that may be. What if I get caught? Um, Or of judgment. And the truth is, you know, there's a lot of people who sit in judgment uh, of someone who stays in a bad relationship and maybe they don't necessarily know who they can go to. So I think as um, supportive community members that that's incumbent on us to make those connections of us uh, being open and having those conversations with anyone really that's in your circle um, and letting them know, like, I'm that person. I'm that supportive person that you can come to that we can come up with a way that you can signal to me, whether it's a text that has a certain code word on it. And that tells me, Oh my gosh, you need help. Or like you said, you know, a light I turn on or something like that. Yeah. But I think we have to make it safe for them to be able to count on us. And um, it's not uncommon for people to reach out to us often and say things like, well, what can I do? How can I help? I have a sister, I have a friend or my neighbor or whatever. Um, and I want to help them. And I don't know how to do that. Um, often people mean well, 
and they want to do the right thing, but sometimes it's counterintuitive what they do. And they'll say things like, you have to leave and, and you got to go now and I will take you. And then when they don't go, they get frustrated sure. because they're not leaving and I've done everything and she's not listening to me or he's not listening to me. Um, and so we have to remind them it's not your choice. Uh, only they can decide when they're ready, if they're, if they're ever ready. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to make someone uh, leave a relationship they're not ready to leave is not going to work. It never has. Yeah. Um, and they come back. That's yeah. they go back. They yeah. go back because they don't see that this is a permanent situation. They they're still in denial. They still want to fix things. They really love this person. And here's the truth: that person is not a hundred percent abusive a hundred percent of the time. They're not. If they were this horrible, evil monster, then no, someone wouldn't stay with someone like that. Um, the truth is that there are really great people otherwise who make bad decisions during short periods of time. And so a lot of victims really want to focus on, I want to bring that person I fell in love with back. I want to, I want to get back to that good person. And, and they think that they somehow can make that happen. Right. And it takes a really long time for someone to accept, like, it's not you. You're not going to make that happen. That person needs to make that choice to make it happen. Uh, but that's complicated in order to, to um, you know, see that through. So for the outside person, what I tell them is just don't leave. I know you want to sometimes. I know it's frustrating because you see the writing on the wall and you want to get them there. But the best thing you can do is just still be around be someone they can come to check in with them regularly don't leave them because leaving them only plays into that abuser to say see i told you she wasn't a real friend or i told you that your sister would walk away from you or whatever um so it's important that we stick around and when they're ready then be mobilized to go do something about it yeah good well it's you know i think it's our inherent um, DNA to help people or to fix people because that's socially, especially women, you know, we're raised to do the cooking, take care of the kids, clean the house, you know, all those things mm -hmm. instead of having a partnership where you, you jointly support each other in the efforts of taking care of the family. Um, right. But, uh, you know, I truly can honestly say I found myself in my own marriage going, Okay, I'm mowing the lawn, I'm cleaning the house, I'm doing the laundry, I'm taking care of the, <laughs> my son, I'm doing all the cooking, I'm taking care uh -huh. of my husband, and where am I? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I just take care of you. Yeah. And that mm -hmm. is the segue into the next comment of practicing mm -hmm. self-care. Yes. You know, and I think that um, it would be interesting because I know that there's so many programs in communities that are offering to do different things online for people. And I think that the yoga is awesome. I think that with a couple of the gyms you've got in your area or even in our area um, of offering to do different online programs that are free and there are lots of free programs online anyway um, mm -hmm. of exercise or cooking or nutrition or, you know, playful games or kids doing music or art, art therapy, you know, anything right. that, um, or games, you know, here's some great games that you can do. And I saw on TV this morning where, um, I don't remember who was advertising, but it was a reminder of 
doing things together, like playing Twister and Monopoly and, you know, different games like that and learning how to cook. And, you know, so there are some creative things you can do to fill the void. And that's part of self-care. Yes. Is having it be fun. Absolutely. Um, As an organization, a few years ago, we started studying the concept of self-compassion. Um, and we started with a book, which is, that's the title, Self-Compassion, um, like that, that uh, Brene Brown wrote. And uh, initially, when we learned about it, the, the idea was, well, well, let's learn about self-compassion and we can incorporate this into our therapy sessions because our clients need some self-compassion. And as we started studying the concept, we realized, oh, wow, we're really bad at this, too. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> no, I mean, but yeah. we all are. Yes. People, especially in this work. Yeah. I mean, we get into this because we want to help other people. And sometimes at the detriment of ourselves, you know, we, we don't take good care of ourselves because we're so busy trying to take care of everybody else. Um, and so we really made a commitment and I'll tell you what, for the last, I believe it's been eight years, every third Wednesday of the month, we have a group that meets in our conference room. And that's what we're focused on is self-compassion. Um, so we've done things like reading books and we talked about it, like almost like a book club and, and done the activities and that kind of thing. Um, but we've also done things recently. Um, we did something really fun and that's sharing your passion. So how do oh, you cool. self-care? You know, how do you take care of you, right? And so we bring our, our passions and we have one of our most popular topics. Uh, we have a, our director of operations, um, her side gig uh, is she is an amazing baker. <laughs> and so she baked cupcakes and she brought them in and we did a cupcake decorating class. How fun. Um, yeah, it was fun. And let me tell you, that room was full. Everybody wanted to come because we got to keep the cupcakes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Food, <laughs> so food brings everybody. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so but we've had different staff share. Somebody came and talked about yoga and someone talked about running and, you know, so we've all had, or pets, you know, talked about travel um, in ways that we can share why we feel passionate about something. And this is how we keep ourselves um, in, in that self-care mode. So it, it's something that we practice so that we can also incorporate it with our clients. And, and, and often they, of course, are the worst at it, you know, um, because they've been told they're unworthy and that they don't deserve it. And, and so they really need it, of course. But here, here's the other um, interesting uh, point of self-compassion. If abusers practice more self-compassion, um, where we know less violence would happen. And why is that? And, and it's because people are violent and abusive because they don't feel good about themselves. Right. And, and so what do they do? They take it out on the closest person. Right. And so for us, it's also about incorporating those strategies for them uh because at the end of the day who's giving them that uh we had a listening project a few years ago that we did uh with different community members and we wanted to learn you know what what are we doing um that's working and what can we do that's different that we're not currently doing and we wanted to listen to our community and one of the groups that we talked to was batters intervention program and these are individuals who have already been through the criminal justice system. They're on probation because of a violent um, incident, right? 
And we interviewed them face to face. And I recall the person I met with and the stories that he told me. And then we came together collectively. And it was so common for them to say, you know, no one's ever asked me. Yeah. No one's ever talked to me about, you know, unhealthy uh, relationships. No one's ever talked to me, never, you know, called them to task. They, the first time they've ever talked to another man about some of their behaviors was in that group because they were made to. <laughs> um, and, and it was a, a very uh, eye-opening experience to sit across from them and hear they want to share too. Uh, yeah. They want that ability to um, talk about where they're coming from without being judged, you know, without that label um, that, that, you know, they get slapped with, of course, after they've engaged in the criminal justice system. So, you know, we know that this is all cyclical. This is all something that is a learned behavior that can also be unlearned, uh, but it takes work and it takes that person being willing to say, listen, I'm doing this and I don't want to do it and I need help. And uh, so I think that is the next phase in this work. Um, we can't solve ending violence in the community we're serving, which is our mission, by just serving victims. That's, sure. that's only half the equation. Yeah. We have got to work with people who are engaging in this behavior, uh, ideally before, uh, right? So we have a really great prevention education program too. We're working with young people and they're really the ones that have motivated us to look at this in a different light because we have a lot of young people who are already in dating relationships and they're telling us, you know, uh, I, I do this. I've done that. I've acted this way or I've said this. And they're willing to say it because they don't, they're not worried about the label yet. Right. You know, that, that hasn't constrained them. It's not a lifetime of this practice. Um, so I do think that if we can utilize the work we're doing with them and and use it with people who are continuing to engage in these behaviors, that that is when we're going to be able to actually make a difference in this movement. I think that's, uh, that's noble, but more importantly, it's needed. Um, you know, specifically my background was not only doing gang intervention for 10 years, but also uh, working in a state facility, state prison facility. And, the constituency's idea, especially of prisons, is lock them up, take away all the things that have them release some of that frustration, and um, no longer are we going to do touchy-feely programs. And so uh, we had to make changes as to how we got across um, the challenge to change, which if you've read anything having to do with Stanton Seminal, he's developed an incredible amount of history working with uh, severe cases of inmates and the way that they're thinking, but more importantly, how do we shift that to change? And I think that part of the movement right now, and I've even been looking at the the possibility of doing that here in central Texas is working with the sheriff's department so that when you've got somebody that's temporarily locked up before they get to the prison system, but temporarily locked up is that's an opportunity also Yes. To talk to them. And I know that adult probation has brought me in to talk to the folks here in the Lockhart area about that they do have choices and that more importantly, the pattern that has them here right now, whether it's substance abuse or alcohol or emotional abuse or physical abuse, is that they're at that place, that plateau where they can either 
choose to move in a different direction and truly honor that and get the help, or they're going to go the other direction and they're going to end up in prison. And I can remember, excuse me, having a conversation with kids using the inmate population to say, you know, once upon a time I was sitting in your chair and now I'm on the other side locked up. And the kids are like sitting back with their arms crossed going, eh, ain't going to happen to me. And sure (laughs) enough, you know, they ended up in the system. So I do think that it's education on all levels, not just, you know, what you all are doing is incredible. And yes, we do need to use our, our compassion for the abuser. We've got to make a shift Mm -hmm. because we can't, we can't make change if we don't. Um, And so I think that collectively, regardless of who's watching this YouTube video is the opportunity to say, what is it that we can do in the community that changes some of this? And we've got some great compassionate survivors. We've got great passionate, fearless individuals, male and female, that I think could step up to the plate and help support y'all's efforts all across the United States because it is an, it is an issue. It's not just here. It's in other countries, but it's something that we can do right now. Um, Absolutely right. And that is a way to be involved and make a difference. Absolutely. And sometimes people don't know that they can help. That's right. Yeah. They don't know. They don't know. That's what we tell kids. You don't know. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know the difference. Um, So one of the things that I saw online that I thought was very profound is the bottom line is the world outside might be safer than their own home. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty profound. Yes. But it's real. And this is part of why we're doing this podcast is that's real. That is real. And, um, you know, there's no sports on TV. They can't go to the gym as of tonight. They can't go to the gym. Um, And so there's no place to get rid of this pinned up hostility. And so, you know, um, maybe it's outside work or maybe it's doing stuff, honeydews that you have to gently bring up, but you know, that maybe the house needs painting or maybe the yard needs working on, or maybe we need to do some stuff inside the house, but giving some direction that has people moving and doing stuff instead of sitting in front of the TV where right now the doom and gloom is grander and only adds to the stress. That's right. And I think we're all figuring that out, right? We're, We're all trying to figure out how, you know, to make that. And then if you add, obviously the component of things are not great at home uh, that makes it even more complicated. Uh, But in whatever ways that someone can incorporate those things, whether it's like making a schedule um, just so that you have some kind of routine of, you know, uh, this is what time we're having breakfast and that, you know, this is when we're going to have outside time. This is when we're going to read books or uh, journaling, I think is another um, way that people can, uh, practice some self-care is to take an opportunity to work on, you know, reflecting on where they are and ways that they can um, cope with what's going on. Uh, yoga practices, and you're right. I mean, there are a ton of videos. Yeah. Whether it's workouts or music or dance or whatever. Absolutely. You know. And there's also, um, I've seen it on Facebook a number of times where 
mindfulness, the whole program yes. of mindfulness has over 300 downloadable, you know, meditations, things they can read that are inspiring, that are self-care. Um, and I really, I personally downloaded that because I think it's important for all of us to learn mm -hmm. self-care, you mm -hmm. and me and all the folks that are helping others of spending, even if it's 15 minutes a day, being mindful of ourselves and how we're feeling, um, whether we're getting enough sleep, whether we're eating right, or are we just doing fast food? Um, you know, I think that we do have to take a look at all elements. And it's, it's interesting when I was looking at social distancing, what I don't want is for people to get so far off base out of fear from social just distancing that they distance themselves from the people in their own neighborhood. That's right. And I even said to my son and daughter-in-law who just moved into a new neighborhood, um, put on a piece of paper, your email and your phone number and put it in everybody's mailbox and just say, we're new to the neighborhood. We want to reach out. We could zoom FaceTime and talk about different things, or we can do Bible study, or we can do cooking, or we can do music, or we can do right. anything. We can become related. Right. But again, that's a place for you to find out if you do have some seniors in your neighborhood that may not be able to get out, that aren't that's getting right. the food that they need. That's um, right. And maybe it's nothing more than just having somebody pick up the phone that's what I'm doing right now with my clientele. I'm picking up the phone going, just touch a base. Cause I have some seniors in my group and mm -hmm. they too can be abused. That's right. Oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you know, and they're even more vulnerable, right? The, there's kids, uh, you know, we haven't touched a, a lot on that with children. You know, they're, they're especially vulnerable because they don't, they can't just get up and go. Um, right. they don't have that, you know, uh, children or people with special needs. Yes. Same thing, you know, yes. a very high risk because they're dependent on others and uh, tempers can start escalating and frustrations can elevate. Um, and then the elderly, th those are our most uh, vulnerable communities right there. So, yeah. um, you know, knowing who that is and, and trying to be like, you know, that, that contact or that touchstone for them um, can make all the difference, even if it's just, a, you know, every other day or once a week um, yeah. check in, even that can make a huge difference in someone. And you have to be present to their voice. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my clients came by this morning, he's an older gentleman and he came by this morning and, and um, we got into this discussion about, you know, touching base with people and really being present to how they sound because we can all be perky if somebody calls and, oh, everything's great and it's wonderful and you hang up the phone and it's not at all. And so it's a place of, of asking pertinent questions. You know, have you got enough food? Are you drinking enough water? Um, you know, do you have enough supplies? What are you eating? Um, have people called you on the phone? Those kinds of questions has them have them not only feel like somebody cares, but more importantly, that somebody's really looking out for the specific issues and maybe they don't answer you the first time, but when you call the second time, they will. Well, and one other thing I would suggest, and this goes back to my days of uh, when I worked at Roxanne's house and I talked with kids about abuse. 
is asking open-ended questions that aren't necessarily yes, no questions. Yeah. You can get a lot more emotion and uh, feeling when they're answering. So things like, you know, tell me how you're doing this week. And really it's an open-ended question. It's sure. not a yes or no, you know, not uh, how are you, but tell me, tell That's me, great, I'm opening yeah. that door for you to tell me how you're doing. Um, and someone who's not in a good place sometimes can't hide that, you know, yeah. that, that's one of those like, uh, emotionally jarring questions. There's like, Oh, uh, and, and it could catch someone off guard and could at least open up that conversation with them to, to say, you know, like real, I really just want to know how you're doing. How are you coping? How are you getting through this week? Uh, you know, tell me about, uh, what resources you have available to you. Um, and just having that open conversation so that they're the ones giving you the info and you're able to really determine, are they just being perky and, you know, is there more going on? Uh, it's, it's a way to engage in a more meaningful conversation, I think. Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing that says you can't make a casserole or cook a cake or make bread and take it and leave it at the front door and tell them that you've left it there. Now, if they're handicapped, their door's you know, they'll let you know when you can leave it inside. You just leave mm -hmm. it right inside. But again, it's another way of connecting. It doesn't just have to be by phone call. It may be that that food, especially a soup or a casserole or something like that, goes a long way for one yeah. person or two or three people. It still carries them through a number of days that otherwise they may not have the energy to do. That's right. Yeah. That's um. So I think in summary for the actual broadcast that we've, that we've had, which I think is incredible and I thank you so much. What do you want to say at the very end? What is the message you want to leave today? Um, I think the most important thing is that people know uh, where their resources are. Uh, and I know in podcasts like this, it's not necessarily always just Hayes and Caldwell County. Yeah. Um, it could be reaching all kinds of places, right? Absolutely. And, and that, and that's knowing what your resources are. Look, look to see, you know, where someone can go for help if they need it. Um, is there somewhere that I can get online and talk to someone? Or is there uh, a phone number that gets answered 24 hours a day? Um, what, what are my resources that are available to me? Should I need them um, to get to someone that can help me, make some choices or figure out what my options are. Uh, I think that's the most important thing is just know that there are places that you can go. There are people that you can call. Um, we, we take calls from anyone. I mean, we're not saying just because we serve Hayes and Coldwell County that only they can call us. I mean, we've had right. people call from everywhere. Um, now, can we bring you into our shelter? Probably not if you don't live in our community. Right. Um, but we'll help you find your shelter if you don't know where that is. Um, uh, where we'll help you find your local hospital that's taking in, you know, people who have uh, been injured or, or, or in need of medical attention. So just knowing what those resources are and really reaching out. And um, more importantly, I think, uh, is to think about it before you need it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's hard and, and, and can be a difficult thing, but just know that, that that's, that's part of what we're all in right now. We're all in the situation of trying to figure out what's going to happen next. How are we going to be safe? Who's going to help us? 
So we, we should all be thinking about those things. Um, and then the other important thing is just know, know what's going on around you. Um, and, and don't get so, like you said, don't get so distanced away that you are unaware of what's going on around you. So pay attention to the people in your life, whether they're your next door neighbors or your family members who live in a totally different community. Yeah. Um, find, find ways to check in with folks and, and uh, be there for one another because we're all in this together. I think that the other thing, because you listed everything I would have said, the only other thing I would add to this is, especially when people live out of state and mm -hmm. they know that there's something going on and they keep trying to call and keep trying to call and no answer. You can also yeah. call the police and ask for a well check That's and right. they can go by the house. So um, that in addition to everything else. Um, and you're right in that it's not just about Hayes Caldwell. It is about any place here in the United States. And if nothing else, there's a hotline. There's a natural hotline that's national that will direct you to wherever you need to be as well. So um, you're absolutely right. Thank you. Oh, More thank than you. anything. Thank I love spending me. time. I, I really well, I, I thank you, but more importantly, I've been a major supporter of Hayes Caldwell Women's Center for a long time, and um, you all make a huge difference, and um, not just to our county, but to others that you educate as well, so I thank you for that. So Thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. <laughs> I, I did forget to mention I wanted to mention our website and our hotline number. Absolutely. Please do. We didn't mention that earlier. And I just, before we, you know, Cut off. wrap up. Absolutely. Um, so our website is hcwc.org. So Hayes Caldwell Women's Center.org, uh, just the letters. We also have an educational website called stopthehurt.org. And on it, there's a lot of educational content. And that's really where we're going to start pouring even more resources. There's videos and articles and, uh, tutorials and you know we're gonna start adding things like documentaries you can watch or books you can read um, just as resources that are available to the community and the issues that we're serving um, and then of course uh, it, most importantly is our hotline it's 512-396-4357 uh, which those last four numbers spell out the word help H-E-L-P so 396 help so no Melissa that will also list that when we put out the podcast so that we'll put that out there as well. But knowing who you're the director of and, and what you're doing, I would only think that you would be expanding the website to do great things to better serve the community. So thank you. That's right. Thank you. So um, to all those that are listening to this podcast, more specifically to those that are um, struggling with the topics that we talk about, whether you are a victim, whether you are, um, someone that has an anger issue or that you're wanting to do something different to help others. Think about what we've done here. More importantly, we do have the opportunity for you to comment down below and to subscribe so that as we expand our education and our resources to reach out to issues that I think that are important, um, we want you to come along with us. We want you to, to like what we're doing, but more importantly, I wanna know your feedback down in the comments section for what you learned and for what you felt was of value and more importantly what more we can serve in the information that we give so uh, melissa thank you melissa rodriguez with hayes caldwell women's center i'm sarah bush with a quiet place 
Thank you for your time being with us today. Our time is up. Thank you for yours. You're listening to Quite Honest with Sarah Bush and David Drupella. For more content, videos, and information, visit us on the web at aquietplace.net or go to our YouTube channel and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications. You can also find David Trapella and Sarah Bush on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And also visit Sarah at her current website, thecorefoundations.com.